Welcome to the Roadmap to Wealth show. Have you always wanted to start investing but don't know where to start? Did you dream about creating a successful business but lack the skills or financing ideas? A passive income could fill in the financial gaps, help you save for retirement or get out of debt. This podcast teaches you how to do that with inspiring stories and expert advice from our selected guests. In this show, we speak to the leading experts, business creators, investing and finance experts that have years of experience in different markets around the globe. This show is hosted by Nifty Boss, a global community whose mission is to equip our members with the skills and know-how for starting or improving their own business, investment and achieving financial freedom. On Nifty Boss, you can learn, network, find partners, deals and financing, make the best investing and business decisions possible. There you can find information, tools, and an international community of experts, newbies, and everyone in between. Before we get started with today's interview, if you are a new listener, be sure to go to niftyboss.com and subscribe. So, let the show begin. Welcome to today's episode of the Roadmap to Wealth show. Today, we have a special guest, David Burnett, who is a business buy sales process coach and author of several best-selling books on business. Hello, David. How are you today? I'm doing great, Elena. How are you? Thank you. It's, it's very great. So I know that I haven't introduced you well enough, so please tell our listeners what exactly do you do? Well, okay. So... Just to to give you a little bit of an idea of where I come from, um, I come from a business background and eventually ended up in the role of a business finance consultant. So I was brokering debt for businesses that wanted to grow. So I was helping companies obtain capital leases on equipment, operating leases, commercial mortgages, lines of credit, and what are called factoring facilities when they need to sell their receivables for cash today. So I was doing this brokerage of financing and then the financial crisis hit in 2008. And a lot of the companies that I was using as a source of money, they ended up closing because of the crisis. And so I realized I had to make a change and I went into business brokerage. And business brokerage is really exciting because you find business owners that want to sell their business, then you find a buyer and then you help the buyer meet the seller and get the financing and everything put in order. But the problem with business brokerage is that everything takes a long time. It can take a year to convince someone that you're the right person to sell their business. And then it can take one, two, up to three years to actually sell a business. Mm -hmm. And so in the traditional business brokerage model, you get paid at the end, you, you get a commission once a business is sold. The cash flow of a business broker is a crazy up and down roller coaster you could end up with a six-figure paycheck one day and then not get paid again for five months. It's really a difficult you know, trade to be involved in. So I was a business broker from 2000 and the end of 2008 until the end of 2011. And what's funny is one of the first businesses I listed for sale at the end of 2008 was one of the last businesses I sold at the end of 2011. So I had that one on my desk for years before I got paid for all the work that I did. And so... I left that industry and I went into banking and my phone just kept ringing. So I was visiting different clients and working on my bank work and people would call me up and say, I got your name from someone. I'm trying to buy a business or trying to sell a business. I want your help. And at first I would just tell people, no, I don't do that anymore. Then eventually I would say, well, I can help you, 
but I have a full-time job, so I'll have to look at this after hours. And eventually that little consulting thing on the side grew to be my new full-time business. And what's different now is instead of helping exclusively sellers and getting paid when the business is sold, nowadays what I do is I just work for either party. And more like an accountant or a lawyer, I just charge people for what I do along the way. And so I'm a paid advisor that helps people get through the negotiation of buying or selling a business and doing the analysis in particular for buyers on what a business really is worth and for sellers on helping them set the right price. Thank you very much, David, for this presentation. When did you start to have an entrepreneurial mindset? Did it come from your childhood, from your parents, from your failures, from what? Well, it was definitely from childhood. I've always had it. Um, I can remember when I was a young boy, I was always looking for ways to buy and sell things, you know, lemonade stands and things like this. And growing up in Canada, one of the first things you do when you're big enough is you learn how to shovel snow for money. So I would, you know, help my neighbors with their driveways and, and you know, shoveling snow banks and things like that. And eventually mowing lawns. And, and when I was 14, I started a commission sales job selling ice cream from a, a big bicycle that had a, an ice cream freezer on it. And um, yeah, I've always been interested in business. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I tell people that I'm lucky because my hobby is my livelihood. Whenever I go anywhere and I see something happening in business, I'm always thinking about how it could be better. And I always get frustrated when I see things that aren't working as well as they could. It's just a driving passion of mine, you know, figuring out how to do it better, serve people and make money. It's fantastic to have your hobby for professionals. It's, it's the best thing you can spend your life, actually. So can you tell us a little bit more for those who doesn't know what exactly a business broker do? What a business broker does is a business broker sells businesses for other people. And so some of the defining characteristics of a business broker is that they have an agency role. So they represent the seller and they usually have an exclusive right to sell the business. And so people will go to a business broker when they've decided that they want to sell their business and they want some professional help. And then they'll go and they'll advertise the business for sale, typically in a confidential fashion. One of the things that makes selling businesses different than selling houses or cars or anything else is that if people find out a business is for sale, the business can be ruined by that knowledge in the public marketplace. So businesses are often sold in secret. If you go to a business for sale website, and there are many of them, you'll find listings for businesses and you won't know what they are. Mm -hmm. It'll say something like family friendly franchised restaurant in Southern New Jersey with sales of 1.5 million a year and a cash flow to the owner of 200,000. All we know from the ad is generally where the business is and what the size of the business is and what the cash flow is. From that information, if someone's interested in buying a restaurant, they could respond to that ad and then typically they'd be asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement, protecting everything they're going to be given as secret information, including simply the name of the business. The broker tries to find that buyer. Sometimes the broker helps the buyer put together what they need to buy the business. So, you know, when I was a business broker, I was putting together business plans for my buyers. I was taking my buyers to the different banks that I knew specifically would have a greater interest in doing the kinds of loans for that type of business. And I was coaching them through the whole process because, you know, even though the seller was the one who hired me, I didn't get paid until the business was sold. And so I had an interest in helping both of those parties. And, and that's what 
take so long because I'll tell you, a lot of businesses that go up for sale will never be sold, not because they're bad businesses, but because the right kind of buyer may not be found. A lot of the times in small and medium-sized businesses, the buyer has to have the same kind of experience and knowledge as the seller. Mm -hmm. So if it's a business related to construction or renovating homes, let's say, the buyer often has to have similar background, you know, in order to understand what's going on in the business. And sometimes um, you just can't find the right kind of buyer. Maybe the right buyer is out there, but they live in another city. So there's, there's a lot of difficulties in getting the right two parties together. Some businesses that can be run by a lot of different people, like a convenience store or a gas station, these are sold very quickly um, because the skills required to make them go uh, are more general. Thank you very much, David. So people can go and, and buy and sell their businesses without a broker, logically. Yes. What are the pros and cons of having a broker if you want to sell a business? Well, in fact, 80% of all businesses that are sold in North America anyway are not sold with a broker. Mm-hmm. They're sold privately just between a buyer and seller. You know, there are pros and cons. And some of the cons of going with a broker is that you're going to have to pay that commission. And it's not like real estate. I described the kind of work that goes into selling a business. And so the commission rates charged by business brokers tend to be two or three times what, what are charged for selling houses. If it's a really small business and it's a really simple business, people can do it on their own. Sometimes they need a little bit of help. So those are the people that I work with who are trying to sell a business. They, they're doing it on their own, but they want a little bit of professional help. So they'll call someone like me, someone who really needs to spend all of their time in their business day to day to make it run well, who can't afford the distraction of doing all the work to get the business up and, and try to sell it and meet with buyers. They should consider using a full service business broker because that person is going to take care of all that stuff for them. The challenge is finding the right broker because there are really solid qualified business brokers out there. And then there are people who don't quite know what they're doing. The problem with business brokerage is that because the commissions are high, it attracts a lot of people into the industry. People say, Oh my goodness, if I sell a million dollar business, I'm going to get a hundred thousand dollar paycheck or Mm -hmm. something like that. But then the reality of the fact that it can sometimes take a year or more to get that first paycheck, people get into the industry and then they leave the industry very quickly. Very few people are able to come in and really stick it out to develop the skills and talent to be good at it and to be good at it consistently. And this is why people need to really do some research on the person that they're going to hire and find out if this person is qualified, if they're experienced, if they're going to be able to deliver. And in a competitive market, you know, in a a bigger city or metro area, there could be many business brokers operating and they will compete with each other to try to get a business that wants to be sold. One of the problems is that they will compete sometimes by telling the seller that they can sell their business for more than the other guys. Very rarely is this true. And what ends up happening is is the seller will get an inflated opinion of what his business is actually worth. And then when he gets out to the market, they're asking too much and they could actually, you know, not accept a really good offer because they've been led to believe their business is worth far more than it really is. Thank you very much, David. It was very interesting. So now I would like to speak about the coronavirus pandemic, of course, because it's uh, the subject number one today. Coronavirus? What's that? Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would like to say this too, but unfortunately. 
So now, uh, well, in the whole world, all most of the people are affected by the pandemic, and some businesses are folded. It's a, very, a real disaster. And among those people that's running business, there are some people that have only one source of income from the businesses. Mm. So what could have they done before the crisis to prevent because they lost all the revenue? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's a great question. And I don't know how many people plan for something like a coronavirus. I mean, some people plan for natural disasters. And, and what normally happens with a natural disaster is that there's a mess, we clean it up, and then we get going again. And, and this is something that is very unique. I, you know, as far as people buying and selling businesses, um, the people who wanted to sell their business in February are now realizing if their business has been affected by a mandatory closure order, that their business may not be sellable. They probably realize that if they were going to try to sell their business right now, that they would not get a good price for it because we don't know what the results are going to be. We can see what the results were in 2019, but we have no idea what 2020 is going to hold. And 2021 is a big question mark. Are we going to be left with a lagging recession that will take a long time to recover from? Nobody knows. So what I'm seeing in the market is that people who don't need to sell are withdrawing from the market. They're going to take their business off the market. They're going to work on it and, and get to a point of stability. Some people know that their business is going to be closed. They know that they can't recover. And so those people are probably going to go into liquidation and just selling the, the assets and whatnot. And as far as people who are buying, there are still deals being done in this time. What is happening is people are negotiating the best price they can, but often they're making part of that price subject to uh, a return to some kind of pre-2020 performance. So I'll give you an example of, of one that I'm aware of that I'm helping someone with. They're offering a certain price, but a part of that price is a financing note held by the seller. And they only start to receive payments on that note once the monthly sales achieve a certain level. So basically, if the business never recovers back to its 2019 level, that note will never be paid. And so effectively, the buyer will get a discount on the business after we know what the business is going to, what, what business is going to recover or not. There's always a way to figure out how to do it. It's one of the interesting things I love about this business is that people can be infinitely creative when it comes to figuring out a deal. And a lot of the people who don't understand this stuff, they get dependent on bank financing. And the reality is, is that banks have never really liked lending to business because business is a risky category. And they usually only want to lend to business when there's some kind of government program, perhaps, that gives them a, a guarantee. And right now, a lot of the bankers in the world are busy, you know, fulfilling government programs to help these businesses survive rather than doing their normal work of helping organize loans for perhaps for people to buy businesses or even buy equipment. I'm hearing all kinds of things about people who are not affected by the pandemic having trouble accessing capital from the normal banking system because they're being told of all these delays because of government programs the banks are trying to, to issue or just the banks are scared. You know, here where I live in Canada, um, there's a government program for people who've been put off work by the pandemic. And so these people are getting a special payment from the government. And now we're hearing that when the banks see that payment go into the bank accounts, their credit card limits are being cut. Oh. <laughs> because the bank says, ooh, there's a person who's lost their job. Right. 
And we don't want to expose ourselves to lending money to a person with no job. Of course. And it, you know, it makes perfect sense from the bank's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, it's worrisome. This whole situation is worrisome because the banks are trying to protect their business as well. Yes, I see that. It's sad. But anyway, uh, at the time of crisis, as they say, there are always a time to make some deals at the other mm. end. So what is your advice for people who want to start actually right now? For people who want to buy a business right now, you have a choice. You can either go with a business that hasn't been as affected as much and you can make sort of a normal deal like we would have before the pandemic. Or you can look at some of these businesses that are under greater pressure. My caution is though, is that wherever you are in the world, if there's been a lot of government intervention and government aid to businesses, we haven't seen yet the real effect of the pandemic. I would say to people, if they want to have a a good opportunity to get the best price on a business or even on the assets of a business that's decided to close and they want to liquidate and sell off their equipment and whatnot, we need to wait until the end of that government assistance to truly find out what the situation is. You know, when when I go to the shopping center, there are not many people at the shopping center here. They've, no, the no, shopping no, center no, just no. reopened yes. and not many people are going out, but many of the stores are open even though there aren't customers. And one of the reasons for that is the government has a wage subsidy they've been applying. Well, that program ends in a month and a half. And so my, my question would be how many people will be working in these shops once the wage subsidy has come to an end? That's why I think you need to wait until these government programs end to really see what the effect of this is going to be. because you know, it's, it's being hidden to a certain degree. Yeah, thank you very much. It's very important to tell it. So another question is, some people want to start a business or to buy a business, but they don't, they have limited funds. Uh, what are the possibilities here? Getting a loan or what else? Yeah, if you go online, you will find people talking about the idea of buying a business with no money. It's dangerous, number one because you end up with an over-leveraged business if you can pull it off. Number two, very, very few people can ever pull it off. And number three, the people who do pull it off often have other businesses and other assets they pledge as collateral to do the financing. So if you don't have any money, you really, I recommend you get a job. Yeah. And then you find some kind of way to get yourself into business maybe on the side and grow something. Because so many businesses fail. If you're going to buy a business, you always have to have money in reserve. That's the number one thing because, I mean, I've seen financial statements for thousands of businesses and to have sales deviate up or down 10 to 15 to 20% every year is very normal for a lot of businesses. And if you apply too much leverage, if you borrow too much money to buy a business, expecting it to be a certain level of business and you have a 20% decline, that could mean that you get no paycheck. Mm -hmm. The bank's going to take all the money. And I've seen this happen many, many times where people will borrow too much, sales will decline a relatively small amount, and all of a sudden they're in trouble because they can't make all those debt payments. So there's a place for borrowing money. I think you need to have your own money and you need to have reserves. And if it means that you need to find other people to invest their money with you as equity investors, so to be your partner in the deal so that you borrow less money, then that's also something people can consider. You just have to figure out the paperwork and the relationships so that everyone understands who is in charge, what the role of the investor is, 
and just exactly how those investors are going to get their money back at some point in the future. Thank you very much, Dave. You've just mentioned that if you, somebody doesn't have any money, uh, he or she should start uh, some uh, side business maybe and still uh, going on to work. And so what is your advice not to compromise the value of uh, bringing the boss? Because it's, uh, it may be pretty hard to do nine to five corporate job and do some hustle business on the side. So what is your advice, how you can start it and what's the important thing to do? Well, if you can't start something on your own because you don't have enough time, then maybe you look for the opportunity to be that investor in someone else's hustle. Okay. Okay, I see. Yeah. Yes. And if you still want to start a business, what should you do? If you want to start a business on the side, mm-hmm. you look for a problem. You look for a problem that isn't being properly addressed. Because at the, at the heart of everything, businesses exist to solve a particular problem and the businesses that solve it in the most efficient and easiest way are the ones that are able to get the most customers. And so you, you look for a problem that needs a solution and you figure out how you can make it happen. Thank you very much. So business analysts say that now we are experiencing a recession and as you mentioned before, we don't even know the, the growth of it and uh, the length of it. So people selling their businesses right now and they didn't expect it to do. Uh, how they can do it to get top dollar from selling? Basically, there are two different sides of the transaction whenever you sell a business. There's the price and there's the terms. And if you want a greater price, you have to be more flexible on the terms. And so I've had many businesses that have been sold uh, with me helping the deal where the price has been higher than it should have been. And it usually is because the terms were more relaxed. So let me give you an example. I had a deal once where a business sold for about 20% more than it should have, but the seller was willing to finance more than half of it over a 10 year period at only 2% interest. And so the buyer wasn't able to secure that kind of loan from anywhere else. The value of having the long-term low interest loan allowed them to agree to pay more for the business. Thank you very much, David. So anyway, if it's not for crisis, what are other reasons why people sell their businesses? So the first thing that I think we should, we should get out there is that businesses, small businesses don't sell for a lot of money. It's not like big businesses. So, you know, most businesses sell for two to three times their cash flow. If you're perfectly happy in your business and you're making money, that won't sound attractive to you. Because if you just keep the business for two or three more years, you're going to earn the same money and still own the business. So there has to be a pressing personal need requiring you to move on to something else in your life. This typically comes from having you know, poor health, getting a divorce, needing to retire, uh, needing to relocate, this kind of personal reason. And that's what I always say to people that are buying a business is you need to meet a seller who has a real motivation to sell the business. Otherwise, by the time you get to the end of the negotiation, the seller's going to say, you know what, why would I give up my good business for this relatively small amount of money? They're, they're going to say no every time unless they need to sell. And that's the big difference. It has to be something that someone needs to do. Thank you very much. It's a very interesting point. Uh, you're a business buy-sell process coach. What do you usually coach in the buy-sell process of business? Well, I coach people through the whole journey. So Later today, I've got meetings, for example, with people that are buyers that are, they've gotten all the information on a business they want to buy. 
They know what the seller wants for an asking price and they want to review the information with me and get my opinion about what the business might actually be worth. So they have a good idea of what they can offer. And then as they go through the process of negotiating, I'll have many calls with them over the course of that time and I'll give them advice and feedback about what they're being told so that they can position themselves to, to try and get the best deal. And then similarly with sellers, I help them set their price. I do an evaluation, show what the business will actually sell for. And I help them prepare the documentation that they'll eventually share with buyers. Thank you very much, David. Uh, tell me about your business buyer advantage program, what it is. Sure. So business buyer advantage is an online course. It's about 11 and a half hours. And it takes you from start to finish through the whole process of buying a business. And I've been offering it for years, but I actually made some changes recently. Back in November, I added a module on buying a business in a recession because I thought that we were going to be going into a recession in 2020. I did not predict a pandemic, but I thought that we were due for a recession. And then in March, I added a section on the effects of COVID on negotiating for a business. And then a few weeks after that, I added a section on buying distressed businesses. Sort of getting to the point that you were mentioning earlier about is now a good time to buy a business that might be failing? You know, does it make sense? So I added that section as well. Thank you very much, David. So you wrote a book, uh, Franchise Warning. Uh, people say that franchising is foolproof business model and you just need to operate well. So what is the, the people need to be warned about well, franchising? You know, there's nothing foolproof about franchises. To begin with, if you open a new franchise, you are opening a new business. And so everyone you hope to serve is already getting whatever you sell from someone else. So you need to attract new customers just like any new business has to. What makes franchises a little bit different from a regular startup is you have a framework to follow and the franchisor usually requires you to have greater financial strength. When they tell you that franchises typically last longer than private businesses, that's normally because franchisees have more financial assets so they can finance losses for a longer period of time. And one of the other things that uh, is very common in the world of franchises is that they'll say that a certain percentage of their units are open for more than five years. Well, if you have to sign a lease for a commercial space for five years and you have to personally guarantee that lease. And even if your business isn't making money, but you're married to someone who's making money, you might try to continue operating that business until your lease is done to avoid the personal guarantee of not paying the rent. My question to franchisors is never how many are open after five years. It's how many are open after six. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of them, if they're not making money, will choose to close at the end of their lease because then their liability has disappeared. If you like the idea of a franchise and you like the idea of being within a structure that's organized and a bigger brand name and all that kind of thing, buy an existing location because then you can actually see what the performance of the location is and you can pay a price based on what it's actually doing, not a price based on what you hope to be doing. And, you know, there are a lot of franchise brands out there. You can actually buy existing locations for less than opening a new one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, what is your favorite tool in business? I think it would have to be the SWOT analysis to analyze the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for a business. Um, a lot of the times I will see people who are about to do some kind of action, though they're, they're going to buy a business or start a business, and they will 
look at, you know, what they hope that is the outcome is going to be. But with a SWOT analysis, one of the things we'll do is we'll, we'll look at what is the best possible scenario? What are the worst scenarios? And one of the things that people sometimes do is they'll make a big investment to get into a business that actually has a limited upside. And we'll realize, does it really make sense to put this much capital at risk for a business that can never deliver more than this certain amount, right? And business is risky. Most businesses fail, as you know. And so you want the potential upside to be as high as possible so that if you do succeed, you can succeed in a big way. Thank you very much, David. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self, given your experience you have in the business world? And what would you change? I think that if I was to go back and talk to my 20-year-old self, I would probably tell him to get into business instead of going to university. Directly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I studied business and I studied things that are useful to me today, but so many people go to university and they work on degrees and programs that have nothing to do with anything that they're going to do for the rest of their life. And they end up with sure. debts and they end up with delay. And if you're going to spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on your education, why not use that money to try and get a business going? Because you'll learn much more trying to run a business and make it survive than you will learning from books about the ideas. You know, when I finished university, I thought I knew everything about business until I got into business. And then I realized I really didn't know anything about business. Okay. I hadn't been taught any of the real skills that you need to survive um, and make something work. And on top of everything else, the personality issues, dealing with employees, dealing with, you know, different people who think in ways that seem strange to you, you know, but that's the way they are. Yes. And you, ha you have to make these relationships work in order to make the business function. So there's a lot of interpersonal relations and experience and everything I could have gotten a head start on if I had gotten the business first. Thank you very much, David. So any last advice to our listeners? I think the, the biggest piece of advice I could ever give is that you want to have always something in reserve. Never put your last nickel into a deal. And sometimes those reserves should be in a form that others can't see. So, you know, I've had more than one occasion where someone has had money in a bank account and they've had a loan at the same bank and all of a sudden the bank takes their savings account or something. Ow. Right. And then they find out later that there was a small line in the contract saying the bank could do this if they wanted to. So you want to have your savings and your lending in two different institutions. And, you know, sometimes you want to have part of your reserves in a form, maybe that's not even in the bank, just so that you have options if things don't go well. And, you know, people who had options in February are the ones who are better positioned to deal with the pandemic than people who were you know, just running their business really tight. They didn't have any reserves. They didn't have any extra money in February. Those are the ones who are likely going to be closing. Thank you very much, David, for your advice and for the interview. It was very interesting. And so the last thing, how people can connect with you and they can learn more about you? Sure. Um, if you're interested in business, I would say head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com. And on the left-hand side, there's a place where you can sign up for my email list. And I send out emails every day about business stuff and you know thoughts, ideas, and lessons. And I put out a new video every week, which people on my email list get access to right away. All of my videos, I think there's about 500 of them now, are all based on questions that people have submitted. 
And so it's a great place to go and learn and all those videos are free. And then if you want to learn more, I've got some online courses and everything, um, but head over to davidcbarnett.com. Thank you very much, David, for your time. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes over at niftyboss.com. See you next week on the Roadmap to Wealth show. 